architect, designer, film, and cultural theorist, commentator, published translator, former university lecturer, and film producer, and uh, all-around rebel and dissident Robin Robin Monotti returns to geopolitics and empire after two and a half years. Welcome back, Robin. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's been a, yeah, it's been a few years, and uh, um, a few things have happened since then. Um, but in a way, I think I remember at the time I was more in a state of trying to, I was trying to warn um, those who were not ready uh, to see what was coming. Um, and so we made analogies with other periods in history where there was a lot of authoritarianism and uh, a lot of top-down sort of decisions and a lot of... Uh, let's say, this mixture between the corporate and the state in order to direct the individual. So this kind of total state, uh, corporate control of, of the individual. And so that's what, what I was trying to focus on at the time. And actually, since then, I talked to a, a number of people who said to me that actually our talk then was what really rang a bell because they had something circulating within them, but they're not, we're not quite sure what. And then they heard they heard our, our conversation, the interview, and and they said that was the moment when they realized that something quite serious was happening in society. So so I think at the time I had I felt, you know, I need to say it in, in no uncertain terms that this is what's about to happen is not gonna be your normal historical period. It's it's there's analogies with other periods there. And now I think I think you know it's since then we've uh, you know we have found each other then, but a lot more of us have managed to form community networks or internet networks and talk to each other. A lot more voices have emerged because actually when I began in March 2020, I think let's say on on, on Twitter it was maybe 10, 20 people who were who were sort of going against the main narrative. So now a lot more voices have emerged. Quite you know quite eminent personalities have taken on this mantle of from their professional angles of saying you know what what's really happening so i we're in a different position i think than then because we've got a lot more people who who are who are really understanding uh, what's going on and i think this process is still to some extent expanding maybe and that's something that i noticed in the sort of social media because i use it in two ways one of them is to communicate but the other one i also judge people's reactions to try and sense where people are at and you know during this um northern hemisphere summer i've been doing a lot of work on on the climate um and i've realized that there's a lot of appetite for that more than there was even before because you know actually even before covid i I was working mainly to try and show how a lot of the so-called solutions to environmental problems were making the problem worse and they were designed to just profit a few corporations but they did they had they had no real environment positive environmental impact at all so I was already doing that but there wasn't that much appetite for that at the time but now there's a lot more. So I think that the awakening is happening on different levels. And it's was been interesting because we've just had, you know, the anniversary of 9-11. And very often when people ask me, well, why are you doing this? I say, well, if you want it to make sense to you, 
I mean, to you, I can tell you a longer story, but to people so, so that they can understand, say, look, I'm an architect. Uh, you know, I was, I was um, at the time, I was actually in a, in a master's program at the Architectural Association in 2001 already. And I presented just, you know, straight af- after it. I present, maybe was it a few days before to, to a set of master's PhD students, I presented on all of that. So it's something that I sort of been looking at. And then, you know, the work of actually looking at the details has been done by Richard Gage, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. So I didn't take it on board myself to do all of that work. I, I have looked at it, but that's something, you know, that's an important anniversary. And, um, you know, there's people who are ready to accept that the narrative that we were given by NIST is not, is not the, 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 the full story here. And people who are still not ready to accept, and that's, that's, I think, what's interesting because I'm seeing on different areas, on different um, disciplines or different narratives, different people may be ready to accept them. So one of them is 9-11, one of them is climate, one of them is the pandemic, and one of them is maybe sort of the geopolitics and empire angle of sort of imperialism. And, and that's, you know, when, if I were to say to you a different story, where did it, it all begin for me? Well, for me, it probably began in, um, it's something that I have been retrospectively analyzing since then, as I, under, as I became an adult and understood more, but it probably began with the uh, assassination of Italy's prime minister in 1979, because I could see from the balcony of the, my childhood home, one of the locations in which he was supposedly held by the so-called Red Brigades. And that's where the military police, the Carabinieri, supposedly went to knock on the door and then supposedly just left, oh, everything is all right, but he was supposed to be in there. And I can see that, I could see that building from my window. So when all of that happened, the name came up and said, he was, you know, held on this street. Said, but that's the street, that's the street in front of me. So, so something stirred then um, and there's also scenes of helicopters passing by my school asking whether we knew where that street so anyways this this set up a whole set of questioning and also the, these ideas of when we talk about 9-11 talk about about state terrorism it's accepted now that the bombs because again we have a, um, a parallel of bombs used bombs used in public places in italy 70s, early 80s, train stations were effectively state stroke NATO terrorism uh, blamed on and using what what are called far-right militant individuals who were co-opted. So we had the situations of the co-opting the so-called far-right and co-opting the so-called far-left with the Red Brigades, one of them being blamed for an assassination of a, of a prime minister that was um, against certain NATO interests at the time. And uh, the other one was the strategy of tension, which is... Um, so a lot, of, a lot of the last few years have been very familiar to me for, for a number of different reasons, professionally 9-11, but before that, because, you know, I've, li- I've lived through the strategy of tension and I've lived through people not understanding what's going on. Um, and probably the majority still doesn't fully understand, although now it's accepted a lot more than then. 
So, so I can see that some people who have not lived through that, when you face them, some of these realities, especially to do with bombs and civilians, which, as I said, we've been through that in Italy uh, uh, in the 70s, 80s, some people are not are not willing to accept that. They, 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 don't, they want to believe that it could be someone else, like a foreigner uh, coming from the Middle East will do that to them, but not their own government. So, you know, there, there is, a, for me, there is a hint of racism there too, when you think, you know, if, it, if the person is sort of uh, working with my own government, then they can't do that. But if they sort of slightly different skin color, different religion... Uh, than mine, then they'll do that. I think, hold on a minute. Why are you prepared to believe one, not the other? Not, uh, there's not only a, a government narrative here, because if I were to tell you, do politicians lie? You would say yes. So in this case, suddenly they don't lie. They lie about everything else. That, so, but I can understand that I cannot ex- expect everyone to, to want to accept everything at the same time, because they may not have had the the history that a lot of us had. So when I speak to other people who have been at the so-called receiving end of, let's say, NATO or some kind of imperialist strategy, including uh, state terrorism, you know, people who have been through it, they, they understand it very quickly. People who haven't been through it uh, or who haven't accepted it, they will be more more hesitant. But there was, there was an interesting uh, quote that I was looking at yesterday that was saying, you know, we are on the verge of millions of people understanding that the system that they have worked all their lives to uphold actually wants to harm them right now. Wants to harm them, wants to harm them pretty badly, actually, you know, because if the bigger narrative, which again, having uncovered, because people say we need for extraordinary claims, we need extraordinary evidence, having covered a multi-newspaper, including Times, Wall Street, account of the 2009 meeting of the oligarchy, including Bill Gates, George Soros, Rockefeller, and Ted Turner, and Oprah Winfrey, um, at a house of um, ac- you know, accident uh, biochemist, Nobel Prize biochemist in 2009, where the stated goal was to curb overpopulation. And we've got that in black and white in mainstream media, you know, having put that out there, um, it's it's pretty clear that the intention is not the the benefit of the of the people and it has not been that has not been that intention probably for for quite a long time but explicitly so more recently that you know you know that a lot of us i mean me included i would feel very awkward now um if i were to accept as an architect a government commission You know, I'd rather be working in, in something where I can communicate explicitly. And in some cases, you do need to use government vehicles to communicate because there is a, a government control. But I, I, I'm at a stage where, for me, communication is, is important. So that's why talking to you, again, is, is, is good. And also to focus on, because obviously a lot of us need to talk, which is great. I mean, what has happened in the last few years We cannot deny that there's a traumatic element because, uh, you know, we've been in a way, um, people who haven't gone along with the whole narrative have been 
put in a way in, in, in a difficult position where we have to defend ourselves even when we go and buy milk. And we may have to go and do that again. There is a le- an element of trauma involved in that. But we, we need to focus, I think, on what is important. And uh, what is important, I think, now uh, um, is that I don't, I mean, this would be interesting to hear your view, but I don't really see this. Uh, maybe outside of America is different than in the US, but even there, I don't see this something as that will be resolved necessarily at the highest political level without the influence of across the board, the people, the masses. So I think that that the responsibility is on all of us to do whatever we can, including resisting when you go and buy milk in maybe two months' time and someone says, where's your mask? And, and being able to stand your ground. And I think if I still believe that that's, That's where, that's where it really where it's at. It's not about wait, waiting for the next election necessarily. Um, although that may help, but I think it is about all of us doing what we can. And that's why my focus has been at the stage where I realize, and you know, here we've been in the UK, we've been through the Brexit referendum. So what, what happened there was that you got to a stage where you had very solidified groups for and against. And each group had its own argument and each group saw the other argument as the lie. And it was mutual. There was no dialogue. There was no real um, objective possibility to assess what was what. And that the solidification happened quite quickly. And we've had that realistically with science because some people have still taken on board the official government narrative, the official corporate media narrative. There's a lot of people who have taken it on board. In the US, it would be the political narrative for, for the official Democratic Party, the Biden administration. In other countries, it's not, it's a little bit more fluid, like most administrations go along with it. Uh, so it's, it's less sort of, um, left right in that respect. But, but people have decided to, to choose which side they're on. Also, these decisions are made, it's almost tribal. It's like, where, where do I sense the strength? You know, and so for as long as the, as the government is seen as the, the, the strong power, then a lot of people will associate with that. It's not even about science. So when I saw that it was the same again, it's going to solidify and it's just going to have people trying to shout with each other. I thought, okay, well, what, what goes across the board? And that's where, and I think that's happened since our last talk. That's where I, I thought, well, what goes across the board is do we, do we still believe in human rights? Uh, do we still believe in the Nuremberg Code? Well, I do. Uh, and therefore, I will be the advocate for it whenever I can. Uh, both in, in, uh, you know, in when I can communicate to a lot of people, but also in when I can communicate to one single person, whether it's I'm talking to a school or whether I'm talking to a, to a shop or whether I'm talking to an airline. And, you know, with various levels of success, because there's always the issue, oh, I've been told to do that by my superiors, which again sounds very familiar. And it's not, it's that it certainly is not, cannot be upheld. Um, as a justification for violating human rights or the Nuremberg Code. And we've, we know that that cannot be upheld, but that would, will tend to be the response very often when you're not able to communicate. But I think we all still all have to communicate. We still all have to go out and do that because 
I don't think they've taken us this far to just drop all of this. And given that it all started in an election cycle, now we're getting it, US elections, we're getting into another one. So it's not like they've got loads. They've got a few more ideas, but it's not like they've got loads of them. This is one of them. So I think there's almost no doubt that this will be played again and it will depend on us um, to uphold our, our own rights um, because it probably will have to do that before the US election anyway. So that's a cultural thing for across, across the culture to, to know what our rights are and to be able to talk about them um, and to be able to be convincing. And that's why uh, when there are a few sort of, let's say, so-called scientific rabbit holes, like people claiming that some you know, diseases don't exist, contagion doesn't exist, viruses don't exist. I've got my, my opinion, which, which disagrees with all of that across the board. So I've made that very clear. But I don't even want to get drawn into that any further than saying, you know, I completely disagree um, for, for, you know, being around for, for 50 years. And for what I have seen, um, there is no element that can convince me that what I've seen was, was, was not happening. And whether we get into the micro definition of things that are so small, we're talking about something which are sort of a thousandth, if not more, of a human hair. Well, that, that is not really what, what I think our focus should be now. Uh, I think our focus now should be, should be basically our rights, because that's what we can defend more effectively rather than attempting that conversation in a shop and to, to come out with a negative, which is denial. You know, it doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. I could potentially even deny, let's say, that masks don't work. But, but even there, I don't think that that's the most effective way. I think that for me, the more effective way is to say, I have a right to choose not to uh, put a medical device on my face, no matter what anyone else says. So a more inclusive way, which doesn't deny someone else's belief, but focuses on rights, which they can believe in too, I think is, is the, the way that I still prefer to, to focus on today. And I'm a little bit more optimistic maybe than 2021 because I see a lot of people responding positively uh, to that, especially right now. Riots across Europe, unprecedented food and energy inflation, increasing military conflict around the globe and a rising digital police state. The fourth turning is here. And so is the Expat Money Summit, the free online event expatmoneysummit.com is back and will help you navigate these turbulent times. Featuring dozens of renowned experts such as Dr. Ron Paul, international man Doug Casey, Jim Rogers, and Mark Faber, the summit will reveal how you can reclaim your freedom abroad, reduce your tax bill, protect your wealth, obtain multiple citizenships and residencies, become part of a like-minded global community, and more. Founder of expatmoney.com, Mikhail Thorup, will be your guide on this journey to protect yourself from economic collapse, World War III, authoritarian Western regimes, and Klaus Schwab's Great Reset. Simply go to expatmoneysummit.com and enter your email to reserve a free ticket to the event. Do it now.
I'd agree with um, everything you're saying. And, and my, my point is always, also has always been what, what you just mentioned. From the very beginning, we should focus on rights and pointing out this this is, a, you know, totalitarianism that they're roll, rolling out, authoritarianism. And so uh, just, just to go back to mention a few things, I think it's great that you started with the strategy of uh, attention. Uh, you know, I had Daniela Gantz around the broadcast recently and, and Richard Gage. And, and in fact, I believe in Italy, soon there's going to be a court case related to some of the strategy of tension events from 1974. So th that's uh, actually quite uh, fascinating. And, and just to go back to what you mentioned earlier, I don't I don't regret our earlier interview where we were comparing COVIDism to uh, Nazism. We've had Holocaust survivor Vera Sheroff uh, come out and say the same thing. I've had Pastor Parlowski on who yelled Nazi Gestapo uh, to the Canadian um, authorities trying to shut down his church so i think we were uh correct and um yeah the i i feel the same with same way with you i've experienced severe you know pneumonia influenza whatever like diseases years ago coughing literally coughing up blood my wife was ill uh an, el an elderly couple drives us to the hospital we're in the car with them immediately they get ill and then at home when they get home their their daughter gets ill uh and then the antibiotics immediately cure me so again we have these direct experiences and um you know I, I read the bible it talks about plague and pestilence and 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 that sort of stuff so there's no way i'm going to be convinced on that i know some people listening are not are, are not happy with it but i think that's not the point and, and just to go back to covid 1984 as i call it or covid 911 um i think this has all been uh part of the same threat strategy of tension you know jfk um gladio 9-11 covid 9-11 and just to sum up my thesis so far, it's pretty much the same from 2020. You know, why I got Jewish historian Edwin Black on uh, in, in May of 2020, I contacted him. It's all about, and we had this recent document come out. Uh, someone discovered this document from December 5th, 2019, where Incutel, the CIA's investment arm, ha held a roundtable discussing how they could leverage an epidemic to deploy digital health technologies. QR codes, digital passports. And so for me, when I say there never was a pandemic, you know, by definition, there wasn't something was going on, virus, no virus. That's not the point. This was all planned to roll out this digital control system in all uh, nations. And so, um, you know, your, your, your thoughts on that, your latest thesis uh, on what this was all about you know robert f kennedy jr says this was a cia operation a darpa pentagon operation uh and and, and other folks and so where do you think they're, they're they're taking us because i see behind the scenes they're working behind the scenes and and right now the biggest threat is they're bringing out these digital ids digital passports uh and and, and stuff like that yeah i mean the digital control of finance of personal finance through the central bank and the CBDC is something that seems pretty clear that is the one of the main intentions. Um, now, that's not necessarily going to succeed in the first version of it. And that's what I'm seeing is that they are shifting different possibilities to put that digital ID system through. So one of them was, you know, in Europe was the Green Pass, 
which now the who has adopted it as its own form. Then you've got, you know, other EU attempts to, um, you know, to control. Now they seem to control AI, but it's, you know, to control digital identity. So I think they, I think they will be opportunistic. So although CBDC is the goal, I think whatever else, whatever other avenue, it could be just, you know, it could be social media regulate, you know, to be on social media, you need. So it may be, um, it may be smaller steps rather than one day to the next. You know, now you have to have to take this, uh, this currency. But definitely, definitely, that's the digital control grid in whichever way they can achieve it is one of the key goals. But um, they, they, could, they could achieve this without, the, at this stage, without the whole... Uh, you know, kind of harmful injection strategy. So they don't, although it's convenient for them to try that, they've kind of seen that enough people stay out of it anyway. So I think there, there is another reason for that. You know, there's another reason for pushing these injections on toddlers, on children, on pregnant women. And, uh, you know, we can't just, pretend that it's only the digital control grid. There is also an attempt at, let's say, you know, reducing fertility, because that seems to be happening, um, reducing the population, or maybe creating illnesses that then will make people dependent on other pharmaceuticals. So there is this issue of health, which is in a way where another avenue that I started from because it's a very materialistic, you know, you mentioned the Bible before. That's about spiritual healing. You know, it's, it's, we're talking about a spiritual healer uh, when we talk about, you know, Jesus. Um, the materialistic dimension we have gone to, which is that your, bo your body is a material Thing made of material parts that all can be divided. And if you take another material aspect, which can be a pale, a liquid or something like that, then it can fix. That's, that's gone too far. That's gone too far. And it shows it's a, it, that is a symptom of an illness in and, in and of itself. It shows that as a society, we've, we've gone so far down the materialist side that when someone comes out like Bill Gates and says health is a syringe, people believe it. And yes, he's lying. But as I said before, people in positions of power lie all the time, especially ruthless people like him lie all the time. So we can only believe that once we relinquish our spiritual dimension, and we see healing as a material physical thing to do just with the physical aspect of the body rather than, you know, you can talk about the spiritual, but you can also just say the well-being, the being rooted in this world um, and be living in communion with others in a positive way. Um, so, so I think that that's one of the problems, which is we're not going to get rid of that very easily. 
unless we also focus and we also don't see it as a taboo to talk about the spiritual dimension and to talk about, you know, we can have different spiritual beliefs, different uh, directions, uh, but culturally in the West, we do have a shared one and it's not about necessarily belief. It's, it's about what led us to the idea of human rights uh, compared to the pagan world, the Roman pagan world and the Greek pagan world. And it was Christianity. It was, it was the shift towards Christianity which made the human life have a value that should be defended in and, in, in and of itself, sacred of itself, rather than disposable according to whatever power may want to do, which, which is what it was like. There was no sense that there was a human right in a gladiator battle. There's no sense of human rights there. It's just you're a slave, you do what we say. So all of that is born in a particular um, cultural context. And if we remove all of that and we create this vacuum, this absolute spiritual vacuum, then other people will come in and they will pl place pseudo-morals pseudo based on their own interests. And that's what's, what's happened. This idea that you need to be injected to, uh, to save grandma. It's not only it's not true scientifically, it's, there, is no, there is no moral value in our culture that says that you need to sacrifice or take risks for your own health in order to uh, hypothetically and theoretically maybe uh, be a chain of... No, there is no, there is no such, such thing. We've got a different set of, of codes. You know, we've got 10 clear codes. None of them says inject whatever authority tells you. So, so I think we, we, we are, we've got a, a political situation in which technology is being used. And, you know, the digital grid is one of the aspects, but it's technology across the board. Uh, technology is being used to control. Technology is being used to conceal. And that's, I think, the similarity between 9-11, or let's say, let's take Richard, some people may have different view, but let's say Richard Gage's uh, organization's main potential conclusion, at least how I read it, which is that um, certain explosives may have been used, and these explosives were nanotechnology in the sense that before to explode something like that, you maybe needed a lot of dynamite. Now, with certain nano explosives, it could just be potentially even some, some coats of paint over a steel structure that could even do it, or some little boxes, or I mean, I don't know what, but, but uh, the idea that there is an explosive which has a nano molecular um, configuration created once again, potentially created in certain defense, advanced defense research organizations like DARPA. Uh, that people can't really see or recognize. You know, they, they cleared out all of the World Trade Center. There are arguments that they, that in certain photo, in certain analyses of certain fragments, they, they saw some indications of this nanothermite. But, you know, this is all up, up for scientific um, investigation that they have done. But my point was, 
Then we have another parallel in the whole SARS-CoV-2 aspect. Again, something so small that cannot be seen, that only few people can really create, maybe a few military labs, you know, Wuhan is a military lab, uh, maybe other military, military labs have been involved, but again, you can't see it. So that is the advantage, you know, a few steps ahead, things that people can't see, use them to deceive, use them to scare, use them to control. And, you know, the huge difference, and that's something, you know, because I think I was, I, you know, I was already an adult at you know, 9-11, but a lot of people maybe don't remember it, that, you know, before we had a lot more freedoms and, you know, the Patriot Act, everything that came with that to anyone is suddenly a potential terrorist. Um, and a lot of freedom are removed. And that was permanent because immediately after there was a sense Maybe it's just a period in which you do x-rays in airports and you get, you know, biometrics and all that. You know, maybe it's just a period. It's meant to be permanent. And again, you know, the, the pandemic, the so-called pandemic, is meant to be permanent. Uh, they're not going to let it go. You know, if they, they may call it flu, they may call it COVID, they may call it enterovirus, they may call it Marburg, whatever they, they want to call it. But it's meant to be permanent because the goal is to remove our rights. So once you understand that, that fund, the, the bigger scheme of things is to strip rights away in order to control. The, the thing that I think is their weak spot is the fact that 1947, Nuremberg is not that, it's in living memory of some, you know, of some people. You know, Vera Sharab, you've had her on your show. Some people can tell you what it was like to be held in these camps when people had no rights. And, and the parallels that, that we make, uh, are not necessarily to do with the end of that period, but, you know, it's the run up, you know, it's the taking away of people's rights. Um, and the apartheid, different groups with different right, rights in Europe now. I was reading today that if you are a Russian tourist, so I'm not talking about anyone involved in military organizations here. We're not talking about Wagner Group. Uh, if you're a Russian tourist and come into Europe, uh, you cannot even bring a mobile phone. They'll just take your car away. These are not far off from discriminatory laws of the 30s on specific groups of people. They're not that far off. We're not talking about the end of it. We're not talking about the final solution. We're talking about the runner when things started happening. And I'm sure that even then the authorities were having a look, say, oh, and no one's doing anything. We're just, we told, we told the Jews they, they can't have uh, jobs anymore. And, you know, the other people are not doing anything. Okay. Let's, let's get some trains and let's see if people, oh, they're not doing it. So it's, it's gradual. And, you know, the point of, that Vera Sharab makes and a lot of us make is you don't wait for it to get really bad. You, 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 you fight for everyone's rights. Um, in, at the beginning of this, not at the end, it's too late. So we, we are seeing arbitrary removals of rights, whether it's, it's the unvaccinated, whether it's Russian tourists. They're just arbitrary removals here, left and right. And people don't do anything because they forgot that these rights only arrived after you know, at this stage, we're talking about millennia of struggle. 
in order to get them. And because of the distraction, Netflix or whatever it is, it's like, yeah, whatever, some, or someone else will do it. Now, maybe not. Maybe we all have to do it this time. Yeah. And, and again, I, I always say, uh, you know, I get frustrated with people around me. And, and what you just mentioned, I'm always saying that people are just too comfortable with their Amazons and Netflixes and Costco's and all this fast food. Uh, and, and they're too comfortable. And again, what you keep repeating, I think this is the key is it's, it's about our rights. They, they're bringing about a technocracy, scientific dictatorship, a biosecurity state. They're open about it. Uh, in New Mexico, we just saw right now they suspended the constitution. You can't carry your firearms around. Uh, and I think that has always the, been the point that we should focus on. And so dealing with like the, the virus or no virus issue or, you know, whether, whether it's 9-11, you know, whether it was nanothermite or some nuclear related, um, uh, you know, ex ex explosion um you know whitney webb said it recently on, on the 9-11 anniversary that's just having us it's divide and conquer where we're arguing with each other instead of focusing like as you said there's no um you know there's it's 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 insane to force us to wear masks or anything we've got our uh rights and and by the way i didn't want to ask you uh i haven't interviewed vera i've been in contact with her people but uh, i was just referencing my my uh viewing her interviews uh i did want to mention in passing i thought it was amusing i've gotten a number of people in trouble on my podcast uh francis boyle pierce robinson after he was on my podcast uh, i think the telegraph did a hit piece on him uh, and then i think uh one of the, the telegraph also did a hit, hit piece on you after my interview and now you're a heat denier the guardian this week uh, I think called you a heat denier, and I think this plays into uh, what we're all talking about. They're using cl um, pandemic, climate, and terrorism, and I think the end goal is this global dystopia. I read in the UK just this past week or two that now they're ready to imprison homeowners if they don't, uh, if if you own a home and you don't, you know, put in the green energy that probably you won't be able to afford that the government says you have to you go to jail for a year basically they're they're gonna they're they're now stripping away rights uh and and so they can expropriate your home or put you in jail uh so you any further thoughts on on uh you hit pieces on you as well as the green agenda which just seems to be a further extension of all of this yeah the the so-called net zero um operation that now is being legislated and as you said in the uk there's an energy bill that if you don't comply with some of these requirements you can uh, be you know fined heftily and criminalized and you know again this is all based on a scientific theory um that the planet is somehow at risk if there is a very marginal amount of warming, which, which already is absurd as a concept that it gets a little bit hotter and everything is going to disappear. So it's an absurd concept. And the justification of it that it's based on, again, and, you know, my point on 9-11 was not necessarily that I want to uphold a particular theory of how it happened, but that the technique and the technology is likely to be beyond the reach and understanding 
of the technology, civilian technological capabilities. So we're talking about advanced research. That's my main point. So, so it's concealed. And, you know, CO2 is invisible. So again, we've got this, this enemy, which has been specifically uh, quoted in the Club of Rome's, uh, I think it's in the first, first global revolution, where they say, you know, the threat of, of global warming, uh, that, you know, the enemy of man is man. And so, you know, this kind of anti-human uh, vision, which then gets, gets pseudoscientized in a kind of format that, again, people who have no spirituality are ready to embrace because they've got nothing to believe in. But that, you know, a nihilistic uh, vacuum has been created. We were warned about it by Dostoevsky. Um, and in this nihilistic va vacuum, as in, as in Dostoevsky's uh, novels, um, some people see it as justified to murder. It's justified to murder the masses to save the planet. You know, we needed to burn the, the, the village, to, to bomb the village to save it. Uh, we need to kill people to save the planet. So these totally anti-human views, totally anti-spiritual, totally anti-Christian uh, views become the common currency uh, that uh, is justified by invisible threats like CO2, uh, which already, you know, as I said, it's ridiculous to believe that, that any warming means the end of the planet. And secondly, the idea that the temperature on the planet is dependent on a minor, minor uh, greenhouse gas, when even the greenhouse, the main one is water vapor clouds, that's the main regulation, but even then the change, and it's something I've been sharing a lot recently, uh, which, which seems pretty obvious, Valentina Zarkova has said it, you know, the idea that actually there's one main source of heat in the solar system, right? There's, that's the main source. Any change in, and now we're talking about distance, and we've got so many irregularities, any change in distance will affect the temperature on planet Earth. So the idea that you can bypass the sun and focus on this minor invisible uh, greenhouse, it's totally, it's totally absurd. It's scientifically absurd, it's morally absurd, ethically absurd, but people who have been stripped of any belief in, in, in anything with a root in culture, with a root on people having fought for it, because, you know, the, the human rights are on the back of Christian martyrs. Let's not forget about that. They're on the back of the hundreds of years of, of martyrdom. That's, that's where they come from. Uh, there was no interest in the Roman, <laughs> Roman Empire to give people uh, a right to life. So that came because of that. Uh, and it's all being stripped out because people don't have anything better to believe that net zero is, is like the new um, pseudo-religion thing to be righteous about when it's absurd on all, on all possible levels. So obviously I've picked that up. I've picked it up scientifically because I believe culture can make a change and science I'm interested in science as part of culture rather than necessarily in the rabbit holing. So that's why when something becomes rabbit holing, uh, I'm not particularly that interested. But uh, I think this is part of culture because the relationship between the sun and the understanding of the earth and, and, and the solar system, that's such a fundamental aspect of science. Copern Copernican revolution, Galileo, 
uh, the, you know, the Catholic Church, the resistance, the acceptance of, of the heliocentric model. And now the acceptance, which actually the first, the first uh, major scientist to explicitly say in our culture, maybe there's other ones that I don't know, was actually Newton, who said, well, actually the sun will be subject to the orbit of the planets, especially the, the bigger ones, Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, and therefore the sun cannot be in a fixed place. So we've had, you know, we've had someone saying, you know, the earth is at the center of the solar system. Hold on a minute. I think the sun is. Okay. Well, you know, we don't like that. We'll burn you. Okay. Sorry. We were wrong. The sun is at the center. And now we've, we've had Newton and now more and more people are coming out saying, hold on a minute. In the sun is at the, uh, it's not at the center. It's at the barycenter, which means it's off center. It's always off center, which means that the orbits are always changing. And there's regular cycles about it. So in some ways, for me, that is a cultural revolution of sorts in science to stop thinking of the sun as a fixed object, a circle which is fixed, static, and then the orbits are static circles going around. And I think that's the root of the problem, because if you have that model in your head, any variation, you think something's happening and you justify it with cow farts. Uh, if you instead understand that the sun is actually always in a different position and it moves up to two diameters of the sun, the sun is pretty big, two diameters is pretty big, that's going to change everything in, in relationship to your distance over time. And then the, the, in the long term, the orbit of the Earth is also it's eccentric, it's off-center, it's an ellipse, so that will also change it. In a long time, we've had the ice caps melting Many, many times in the history of Earth, it's not a big deal it's, if they will melt again. So, but again, this is all due to ultimately, a, a, let's call it cultural spiritual vacuum, because I actually personally don't think that you need to be a believer as such in uh, religion and Christianity to understand that culturally it, it's of huge value, the story of what happened and of what people, of the actual things that people were fighting for when they chose that over the, the pagan system of gods. This is something that actually uh, uh, Zelenko, the late Zev Zelenko, who I also considered a friend, he was very vocal about that. He was very vocal at showing a pagan, what a, what a pagan system some of the people who are doing this are almost trying to return to because it contradicts completely in you know in his case it was more jewish but they say the judeo-christian um outlook which is not the one of the pagan gods as such yeah and just a number of, of things there i think as you you know mentioned the term nihilism uh this year i've been attending the ron paul conferences and they've been talking a lot about nihilism and i think you know these are some of the fruits of nihilism and, and by the way i call net zero death zero now and uh somewhere in the archives i did an interview years back with uh, academic robert woodbury whose research was fascinating he was talking about where wherever christianity was present more or less i mean of course there are exceptions but in africa for example he studied wherever and more particularly the protestant version of um christianity that there was a higher level of democracy and uh, economic development so you know, we had a social scientist it's kind of going to what you're i think uh 
talking about and, and then you know before just moving on i i do want to mention i haven't mentioned this in the podcast before but one of my other beefs with the with the people who's, uh with the no virus people because you're mentioning paganism is i i've noticed the thread this is important for me that i find that a lot of the people uh, on this no virus train are tend more or less not all but tend to be pagan uh new age um they speak christianese but uh, they're actually anti-christian in view because they preach oneism and christ consciousness and uh instead of talking about sin they say you've got an inner trauma and shadow that you can resolve yourself and you can become christ or a god and so that that's part of my beef as well with some of the no virusers so so there i i i said it and then uh you know any any other thoughts um and well, that, uh-huh that's quite close to harari's view isn't it about you know that the new religion will be created by ai that so basically that you can overnight create an alternative to what i said is you know uh, hundreds of years of martyrdom millennia of trying to sort of make this workable as something on earth uh, a huge history of, of some of the greatest thinkers the greatest artists um and to say that overnight that's just just that doesn't matter anymore you know that's that's a little bit what that's that's in some ways what we're dealing with is sort of removing the culture so that you can replace it with something in which fundamental aspects like the sacredness of every individual uh your you know ultimately your own rule over your own body comes from that and to say well that doesn't matter and and that actually works very well with this with the fear of death or the fear of disease uh because why would you want to say that there's no contagious disease because the argument is so people are not scared anymore of disease but what why would you be scared of a disease i mean when i i had quite strong disease i wasn't scared of dying you know i can call it covid someone else can call it whatever they want to does that's not the point but but i wasn't scared of that i did think should i go to the hospital or not i chose not to but but i wasn't scared of dying i didn't have that within my makeup i don't have that within within my makeup and you know i am culturally uh very rooted in christianity everything you know that if you're born in rome even whatever you do you even if you're an architect that's the architecture you'd be looking at if you're in new you know so i'm rooted in that and when you have that and then you that becomes part of you as a way of thinking it's very unlikely that you'll be you'll be um if you if you actually don't take it just the superficial version it's very unlikely that you'll be scared and it's very likely that you'll want to avoid disease you know the, the justification of let's say vaccination that you will avoid you will avoid disease but actually if you're not scared of it if you see that you know some some degree of suffering at some stage in your life has benefits in this case it has natural immunity i'd rather get them all now than in 30 years time 
I'd rather suffer suffer now than have it worse. So, and actually, probably that suffering will bring something to me uh, at a different level, at a level of personal growth, and let's say spiritual. So, I don't see uh, the avoidance of suffering as a positive at all. Actually, from a Christian worldview, that's how you that's how you grow. That's how you become more human. That's how can, you can understand the suffering of others. That's how you can empathize. That's how you can see what values are really important, what rights are important as well. Uh, so, so I agree with you that, that the, desire, the desire to remove these threats in the minds of people is almost like the comfort of the metaverse, where nothing is physical, where, where the body can't fail or even temporarily fail. Um, and if that happens, it's because of some other theory of that you've done something wrong. Um, but it's not, it's not necessarily that, you, you know, you got ill because you have to go through a disease at some stages. And that's it. It's, it's not, it's not a bad thing. You know, the stigmatization of disease. That's another issue. If you've got this disease, you must stay at home. You must, you know, because it's a bad, it's so bad and someone may die. So this kind of almost this removal from, from, you know, death is a taboo. I don't necessarily want to die. I don't think I will, um, that easily from, from a contagious disease. I don't really, I never really thought in my life I will die from a contagious disease. Have you? No, I'm always worried more about like uh, falling off a roof or, you know, breaking limbs. And so it's never I've never I went out to Mongolia where they still have bubonic plague. Again, is that a conspiracy theory? And for the Peace Corps, and they gave us because it's on the marmots, right? They say the flea carries the bubonic plague, the Black Death. And the Peace Corps gave us this huge uh, container of massive green pills where if you concocted the bubonic plague you just chug the pills and i've had uh in the out there in the wilderness in mongolia friends offer me uh, cooked marmot and i'm like hey sure why not i might get bubonic plague but i got the pills you know i just totally had this nonchalant attitude towards infectious disease or, or contagion it's not really uh, a thing and uh, let me ask you you know in sort of closing here you, you're on the road ahead um I, I would agree with you. I think many guests that I have on uh, touch on the same point that the answer is not in really the political solution, so to speak. It seems like our mayors, governors, national leaders are all captured by this globalist system. Um, and the onus is now on getting a critical mass of people not to comply because like we saw in New Mexico now, um, a whole bunch of people were parading around with uh their firearms openly the sheriff said we're not going to listen to the governor they can't do anything and so uh you know your thoughts on where we're going uh and 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 you know what people might want to do to to try and uh, resist this insane tyranny yeah well that the, what i wanted to mention is um about this is that as i said i believe in culture and that's where i've been working in and uh, one aspect is a film that's just come out in the last week in New Zealand called River of Freedom. And it's about the freedom convoy that goes to, to create a new freedom village in front of the parliament seeking dialogue about the mandates because people were mandated out of their jobs. 
Now, one of one of the reasons why it's called River of Freedom, or or one of the aspects of it, is that at the time one of the politicians called the the people. Um, they call them the place they're in, or what they call it a feral river of filth. And they were accused of being far right, anti-Semitic, and total blackout by the media, um, apart from these kind of miscategorization of, like, as I mentioned now. So that was it. That was what, what normal people thought was happening. It's like some. So what they didn't realize is that a number of them were professional filmmakers and they brought their cameras with them and they filmed it all. And they put together this film um, with all their footage, um, directed by one of them, Gaming Barnes, produced by another one who, who was actually manhandled by the police, producer Jared uh, Connor, he was, he was, you know, physically manhandled and people are watching it now, um, in the cinemas. Cinemas are, are selling out because it's a, it's like a real story that people didn't know. They say, hold on a minute. What you want to know what happened then? Cause the, the media didn't report it. So journalists themselves are going to watch it and saying, you know, they, they really tried not to show the voice of the people who who didn't who were mandated out of a job and they just wanted a dialogue they try to silence them but they've come back with the new zealand cut is a two and a half hour film the international cut would probably be shorter because some aspects are not necessarily translatable in the same way but they've come up with a two and a half hour film of the real stories of these people in a, with a really empathic uh, cut and direction that people are, are, are saying we sh can never make this happen again in our country. So in this case, I am seeing in New Zealand, I'm seeing this becoming a historical document of a particular time that people, that some of these journalists are themselves already saying this must be at some stage, uh, as part of a school curriculum to see what not to do to a politician. If people come and they want to talk because they've got some issues, in this case, jobs, and some of them are racial min minorities, you know, there's a strong Maori contingent, you need to talk to them. And, you know, the resignation of Ardern is linked to all of this, is linked to the fact that she was probably being told, you know, by Bill Gates or, or Klaus Schwab or whoever it was, that, you know, we can't do that because if other countries see that, if other countries see you doing that, then they're going to have to go and talk. So it's almost like you can't do that. But as I said, little did they know that there was going to be a film coming out that was going to show the inside story of all of that. And, and when people go and see it, they're cheering, they're booing the politicians, they're cheering those people. And I'm sure that some of the people going to see it, I haven't even got a, 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 a view, strong view about vaccinations. It's just about a political crisis that showed the total 
And again, moral bankruptcy of a particular approach to government, which is a, totally against the values that 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 a post you know sort of post pagan uh, Christian uh, Western human rights centered culture should be about. And uh, and again, as that movie exemplifies, uh, and and it's uh, what you've been discussing. I think this is the number one biggest. Uh, response uh, solution to all of this strategy of tension tyranny across the board where we're, we're seeing, you know, it's not some bunker preparing some bunker somewhere or electing one single mayor or president. You know, we've seen in countries where even if the president is against COVID, uh, many other members of the cabinet or our administration are captured. And so uh, they're putting a spoke in the wheel. I think the, the, the first thing we should focus on is what you've been banging on, uh, on about is uh, getting enough people uh, aware. Uh, and this is coming uh, um, up again and again with people that I interview, whether on TNT or, or here on the podcast, scientists, you know, just, just this week, it seems everyone is coming to that common denominator and consensus. So. Um, uh, again, you know, we thank you for y your work. Uh, a lot of people follow you on on X now, as we say. You're back on X and and uh, Telegram. Eric Clapton fell down the the rabbit hole, I, I believe, thanks to you. And so, you know, any any other thoughts? Uh, final thoughts, closing thoughts uh, for us. Um. Well, I, I you know, for, as I, I would just basically be repeating the two aspects and, you know, um, focusing on them again. Um, rights are what, what are important. How do we communicate them? We communicate them by talking, but actually, actually we can communicate them through culture. So, you know, you mentioned, Eric, you know, music is is one way of doing it. We've got some, I think we've got some pretty good musical artists. People are looking at, at you know, why didn't the other ones stand out? Stand out. Okay, they didn't. We know the ones that didn't, but some of them did, you know. It's not too bad, you know, Eric Clapton, Van Morrison, uh, Ian Brown. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got a few more, but also there's a younger generation that I think will, will become a sort of historical generation. And we need to sort of support them too, because I think this is what can break the boundaries. And also, I think the time to find each other, the time when we had to say, guys, this is totalitarianism, uh, wake up. We've, we've done that. We found each other. We've got people that, that we talked to. We talked to each other. So now I think we need to also consider to put out a view which is attractive to a middle ground, which may be, may be ready at the next, you know, it may be the straw that breaks the camel back. At the next push, they may be looking, saying, I don't want to do this again. So who, who's around here? And that's, that's when I think we need to have a positive message um, we do need to embrace people who may have been on the other side before if we feel that they're genuinely going to be coming around to supporting these, these, these issues of rights fundamentally. And a positive message that it can be communicated. So culture can be our ambassador to cross this boundary. But when people cross this boundary, we don't want to you know, kind of go up their throat saying, do you believe in contagion? If not, you, we're excommunicated. 
we want to say sort of welcome. This is the music that that we've been listening to. This these are the movies we've we've kind of done. Uh, you know, participate as well. Have a look. See if you like something. And these are the messages that we're trying to give. And ultimately, I think we are trying to bring a message of if they've got their unity that they're trying to create, which is that man is the enemy of man. We want to create a different sense of unity based on a positive, which actually man can save man against very few men, the plutocracy. And so we want to be uh, bringing, bringing this out with um, a cultural message of, of inclus- inclusion, positivity, not necessarily confrontation, unless it's necessary. Of course, we can't shy away from it if it's necessary. But really, first, what we always need to do first is the the human rights and, and the culture card so that, that we become what people want to be part of, not what people are scared of. And that's that's what this film managed to achieve. Looking back, people are booing the politicians and saying, I don't want to be part of that anymore. Maybe at the time I wasn't sure. I don't want to be, I want to be part of this because it's, you know, it's great music, great cinematography, really humane minorities that, that speak from their point of view that want to be heard, heard as well, but they're part of an inclu- inclusive network. We're not sort of ganging up against them. So I think that that's, that's what we have to present ourselves l- like. And of course, there's places and Telegram is one of them where we can, be totally, I think we can still be totally honest about certain things which maybe are not really middle ground. And I think it's good that we've got that, but there's other areas. And I think X is, a, I'm starting to, to sort of moderate the content, not because I want to sort of censor myself, but I think that there's, I think I've got a different audience, especially since I started talking about climate on X and on Telegram. So Telegram is like, I don't have to explain, but X is like, if I can get a few more people on our side there, that's, that's my goal. So I'm going to be talking like that. Whereas in Telegram, there people already know. Uh, although there's a lot of people that are, you know, we also have to be aware of the uh, hijacking, you know, the 60s, the peace movie, because you mentioned a few psyops, but, you know, there was also RFK and MLK in the 60s that were assassinated. And there was that was a very strong, you know, the speech of civil rights and uh, peace in Vietnam speech of Martin Luther King. That's that's really when it got serious with him. That's, I think, probably when, when it, the decisions were made to assassinate him because it was a peace movement that was potentially going to derail the whole, you know, military-industrial complex. And part of that was a little bit what you pointed out to before. I do believe that self-discovery is important and we can find different ways. uh, And some of them may may come from different traditions. Um, But, you know, the introduction of, of, of the view that you should only look in and that hallucinogenics were for you to only look in. Don't look out. Don't look at Vietnam. Just look in. That that was definitely a deliberate strategy to hijack uh, hijack a group. And I think within our groups, I think that this uh, getting lost on 
scientific minutiae is a deliberate strategy. And I think there will be people trying to push it on my channel, possibly on yours too, uh, because they want to, to hijack people onto that. Like, you know, you are a true believer, you know, Judean People's Front, Monty Python, or you are against because you believe. So something to divide. So we have to be careful about these divisions and unite in more positive things. And I've made my statements on all of that. I don't really want to keep keep saying it, but I felt I had to. I felt I had to say where I stand. But uh, and I understand people will will never agree with that. That's fine. But I think that what we are heading into now uh, needs to be a little bit more inclusive and focused on something else, which is uh, rights and culture. Yeah, I, I do have these people come in out of the blue. I, I kind of put it all into this one bucket. You get these people that attempt to hijack. I don't doubt sometimes they're feds, especially with the anti-Jewish, pro-Nazi Hitler stuff uh, on the telegrams. Race, and, and race and racist comments out of the blue, really kind of aggressive racist comments. The difficulty for us is we can't be 100% certain. Uh, so either we get we have a policy like any kind of comment like that is deleted, but then then it becomes a little bit difficult to 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 do because you start deleting a lot of stuff as well or um or we have to we all have to be aware of it and just ignore and understand that that is not a representation of the people who read the channel that's someone trying to create create trouble yeah and and in some of the other stuff like uh you mentioned the people talking about flat earth and QAnon and and, and no virus again a lot of distractions and again I, I feel all of them have a new age um uh anti-christian element and i totally agree with you your approach to twitter and telegram telegram is like the folks who have uh graduate degrees or phds and twitter is like people who still have you know uh bachelors and so i'll include all your links um in the description uh twitter telegram your your website your your uh, uh films and so uh is there any best website for people to follow you on or social I think it's the ones that are more active on our Telegram and and X. All right. Well, uh, great uh, chatting with you, Robin. Again, we'll see if anyone does a hit piece uh, uh, on this uh, interview. And so hopefully uh, talk to you again in the future and keep up the great work. Thank you for having me on after a couple of years. And uh, and hopefully next time we've got a, new, a few more positive and inclusive messages to to say to the to each other. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. 
My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.